If you have your Bibles with you this morning, would you open them please to the book of Joshua? The 24th chapter of the book of Joshua. We're starting a brand new sermon series. It'll be a four-sermon sermon series on the family, on the home. It's called Faith in the Family. And I'm going to be speaking specifically and directly. I'm going to be meddling in the business of parents and grandparents at Miles Road Baptist Church because we have major problems in the home today. And most of those problems stem from the leadership that's in the home, and that leadership should be mom and dad, or grandma and granddaddy. And so we're going to be looking at some issues in this series. And I hope you'll not just listen. I hope that you'll not just take notes. I hope you'll not just go home and say, what a wonderful message that was. I hope that you will take some things that you're going to hear over the next month and actually apply them to your life. It's never too late to start all over again. You can't change the past, but you can change the present. And by changing the present, you can change the future. Joshua chapter 24. Let's look at verse 1 and 2. And verse 14 and 15. And Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Sheshem. And he called for the elders of Israel, and for their heads, and for their judges, and for their officers. And they presented themselves, as Joshua asked them to, before God. And Joshua said unto all the people, now I want to look, pay attention to that, Joshua said to all the people, to all the families that were there. He he spoke to them all. Now, verse 14 and 15. Part of what he said was, Now therefore fear the Lord, and serve Him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood, the gods they served in Egypt. And you serve the Lord God. And if it seems evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether it be the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now dwell. But as for me and my house, says Joshua, we will serve the Lord God. We'll serve the God of the Bible. We'll serve the Lord. I want you to think about the word epidemic. Epidemic. According to Webster's Dictionary, who seems to be the the kingpin on what things mean, he says the word epidemic means a widespread, ongoing occurrence of an infectious disease through a community at a specific time. Epidemic, a widespread, ongoing occurrence of an infectious disease or sickness that goes through a community at a specific time and place 
in history. Now, if you study epidemics, particularly just those over the last 17 years in our century, we've had quite a few. I think about the SARS, S-A-R-S, the SARS uh, disease that went through Southeast Asia. We remember the HIV epidemic that spread through the African Congo. Do you know that bubonic plague, black death, is making its way back into our world? In fact, there is an epidemic now breaking out in Madagascar. Cholera, that we thought was under control, has raised its ugly head in many places around our world, particularly Yemen and Haiti, where we're going to be sending a team a little bit later this year. The Ebola virus started out in Uganda. It's now an epidemic through much of Africa. Despite all of our medical technology and science, epidemics continue to plague our world. And Jesus said, as the end draws near, we're going to see more and more of them. Now, epidemics sometimes are caused by bacteria. Other times they're caused by fungus. Still other times they're called by, caused by some virus. And still other times we don't really know what they're caused by. Medical science and all of its expertise doesn't always know what's going on. And all of these epidemics that I mentioned to you, and there's many more, they, they all are difficult to treat. And every one of them can be life-threatening. Now, I say all of this because I want to lead you into something. While physical epidemics that affect our body are scary, there's something more scary. And that spiritual epidemics that affect our soul, may I suggest to you, we have a spiritual epidemic that is running through America today and specifically through the church of Jesus Christ. This epidemic is the epidemic of apathy and desertion from the faith. And I don't know if you pay any attention, but I do. And this epidemic, this spiritual epidemic that is caused and the result of apathy and desertion is without precedent. It's mind-boggling, it's heartbreaking, but it's real. Let me give you some statistics by men who are very reputable in gathering these kind of things. According to the pollster George Barna, one half of all students, one half of all students that make up the homes of America, students being defined as 13 through 21, one half of all of that age group, 13 through 21 students, have no interest whatsoever in church. In fact, they will never grace the door of a church, most of them in their lifetime. One half of our students will never come to church. 
They're not interested. They think it's irrelevant. They don't want it. According to church analyzer Tom Rayner, 80%, 8 out of every 10 students who do come to church, when they leave the church at graduation, they'll never return. 8 out of 10 young people right across the street that Sam works with, according to those that study such things, when they graduate from high school or college, they will never come back. And according to Tom Rayner, they had already left mentally and emotionally long before they ever left physically. They had already checked out, you might say. They're just here because mom and dad made them come. According to author Ken Ham, upwards to 75% of all students do not have any idea what they believe. They have no idea what they believe. And what they do believe is filled with doubts. Skepticism and scoffing is very rampant in the student ministry's life. Now, why do I tell you these statistics? Because you're probably saying to yourself, wow, this, this is gloomy, Pastor. Why do I tell you about this epidemic of apathy and desertion? Because it's threatening the very existence of the church. We're losing and have lost the last two generations. And if something doesn't turn around, ladies and gentlemen, the church that we're used to is not going to exist ten years from now. We can sit on our high horses and say the pastor's just blowing smoke, it ain't going to happen. And one day, it will happen. And we'll be scratching our head and wondering why. Now, if a majority of our next generation is disinterested, doubtful, or preparing to desert the church, what should we be doing about it? Other than just sitting here and listening to a sermon about what we need to do about it. We need to do something. And so what we're going to do over these next few weeks is talk about practical things you and I can do as parents and grandparents to influence and impact our young people. Now, Joshua is speaking to his people. And he's speaking to them about staying faithful to the faith. And he tells them three things that I think have application to us today. So in Joshua 24, let's spend some time. Now, the first thing Joshua does is he gathers all of the people. I noticed I told you all the people. There weren't no exceptions there. He called for all the people, those big shots, those little shots, those who are up in inners, those who are down in outers, the educated, the uneducated, the rich, the poor, the smart, the dumb, the handsome, and the not-so-handsome. He called them all. And he said, I want every one of you to come. 
How many there were, we do not know. I would think there were thousands upon thousands upon thousands. And Joshua is going to address them. Notice in verse 1 and 2, And the Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel. Notice that word all is used. All the tribes of Israel to Shechem. And he called for the elders of Israel, and the heads, and for the judges, and for the officers. And they came as they were told. And then Joshua spoke to all of the people as well. Now what he's going to say in the next verses to come, all the way through verse 13, is of interest. And I want you just to kind of scan your eyes as I'm talking, because this is what he said to them. And the first thing he says to them is he's concerned about whether the faith that God has given them will go to the next generation. He takes them on a a remembrance tour. He calls them to remembrance. Now Joshua is an older man at this point in his life. He has seen it all. He's heard it all. He's been there. He's done that. He's a respected statesman. He's a respected soldier. And Joshua reminds the people as he begins his talk with them, his farewell talk, if you will, He reminds them of God's faithfulness. He calls all the families together and he reminds them of God's faithfulness. And by the way, there were 28 different families represented there that day. You know, we used to think of a family as being a mom and dad and kids. (laughs) That's not true anymore. According to experts, there's 28 different kinds of makeups that can be called a family, and I don't have time to list them for you. So if you think he's leaving you out, he's not. He's got you too. He's addressing all the families, whatever it might be. And he takes them on a journey of remembrance. Now it's interesting, he called them to Sheshem. Sheshem is a very holy place in that day and time. It was a place where God would often meet His people. It's a place where God established great things with His people. And notice what He says to them in those first 12 verses. If you read, He says, He establishes, reminds them, I might say, of God's covenant with Abraham. A covenant that made the Hebrew people a special people and the Hebrew nation that was to come a special nation. Then he reminds them, he goes on a history lesson with them. He reminds them of God's empowering of Moses and how God used Moses to bring them out of slavery and deliver them from Pharaoh and from Egypt. And then he reminds them of God's victories, how God has given them great victories over all of their enemies in the promised land. So he takes them back to Abraham, carries them through Moses, and brings them up to the current moment where he's at. And he reminds them how God has always been good. God has always been faithful to them. You see, when we forget God's goodness, when we forget God's faithfulness, the next thing that's going to happen is we will fade. Apathy and desertion doesn't just happen overnight. You don't wake up one morning and all of a sudden say, I feel apathetic. (laughs) You don't wake up one morning and just find yourself 
deserting everything you once believed in. It's a process that occurs over days and weeks and months and years. And it begins when we begin to doubt or we begin to forget that God has been good and God has been faithful to us. So Joshua, out of the box, reminds them about Abraham and the covenant. He reminds them about Moses and the great exodus. And he reminds them about his own life and ministry and how God has given them victory over every single enemy they've ever faced in the promised land. When you forget God's blessings of yesterday, you'll begin to fade today and you'll be gone tomorrow. Casting crowns, many of you like their music. They wrote a song some time back called Slow Fade. Let me read to you some of the lyrics. I won't sing to you, but I'll read the lyrics to you. It's a slow fade when you give yourself away. It's a slow fade when black and white turns to gray. Thoughts evade. Choices are made and a price will be paid in the slow fade. When you go away, remember, people never crumble in a day. Joshua says to those that he asked to be faithful, remember. Has God been good to you? Has he? Has God been faithful to you? Has God blessed you? Do you remember it? Then don't just live in the past, live in the moment with it. And share it with others. What good is memories if they're never shared? And then, in verses 14 through 18, he goes from remembrance. Joshua speaking to the families, to the people. Remember, he says. Remember the covenant of Abraham. Remember the exodus of Moses. Remember the great victories under my administration, speaking of himself. And then he calls on them to respond in verses 14 through 18. To respond. Notice he says in the challenge of verse 15, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve who? The Lord. Dr. Martin Luther King gave a speech some years ago. And in that speech, he talked about a dream that he had. He casted out a vision, if you will, and he challenged people who heard the vision to respond to it. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their heart. And what... Joshua is going to do in verses 14 through 18 of the 24th chapter that you're looking at is he's going to give a vision 
He's going to give a challenge to those that are before him. A dream, if you will, that he believes, if they will apply, could make a difference. Look at verse 14 and 15, and we already read it, but let's go ahead. Now, therefore, fear the Lord. Serve him in sincerity and truth. Put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood, speaking of Egypt, and serve you the Lord. And if it seems wrong or evil unto you to serve the Lord God of the Bible, then choose this day who you're going to serve, because you will serve somebody. Choose which day you, who you will serve, whether it be the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites, where we now live. But as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. He gives a fourfold challenge as he asks them to respond. Notice he says in those verses, he says, fear the Lord. He said, I, I dream of the day that all of us will fear the Lord again. I have a vision that we'll fear the Lord. I challenge you to fear the Lord. For the Lord is holy. He's an all-consuming fire. And if you play with fire, you're going to get burnt. If you make a mockery out of His holiness, you're going to be judged. He says, fear the Lord. Do you fear the Lord? Do you really fear the Lord? And then he says, serve the Lord. Serve the Lord. Who are you serving? Everybody's serving somebody. Everybody's serving something. He says to the people, are you serving the God of truth or are you serving the God with the little g of deception? Are you serving the God of light or are you serving the God of darkness? Are you serving the God of life or are you serving the God of death? Who are you serving? No man can serve two masters. You're either going to love one or you're going to hate the other. Joshua says to them, choose who you're going to serve. Quit being in between. Fear the Lord, serve the Lord. And then if you look at verse 14 and 15, he says, forsake these idols. Forsake them completely. Cut them loose. <coughs> you can't have both. You can't have the true and the living God and the false and dead gods of a man's mind or imagination. What was the first commandment that God ever gave? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. May I ask you a question? Are you serving other gods? You say, Pastor, I don't serve Baal. I didn't ask you if you serve Baal. Do you serve the NFL? you serve South Carolina Clemson? Boy, it's mighty quiet in here. 
Do you serve your possessions? That big house? Those three cars? The boat? The vacation home? Is that who you serve? Do you serve money? Your gold, your silver, your cash reserves? Do you serve your family? You worship your spouse? You pay homage to your children? Do you worship your job? Is your job your life? Do you worship pleasure? The quest for pleasure, the quest to feel good, and wherever it may take you. Oh, there's a lot of different gods we can worship. And by the way, we all worship somebody or something. Joshua calls on the people. He says, remember Abraham, remember Moses, remember my administration, the covenant that God made, the exodus that God performed, the victories that God has gave. It's time that we respond to what we remember, he says. Fear the Lord, serve the Lord, forsake these idols. And then he says, choose the Lord. Make a choice today who you're going to serve. A public decision that will be made publicly about who you will serve. Norman Rockefeller was a great artist and he painted pictures of a particular time in American history when things were tough. And in one of his pictures, he pictures a family. And there is a grandmother in the picture and there's a mother in the picture. And they're dressed up. It's apparent that they're going to church. Behind them is a little fella who's not real happy about having to go to church. He's got a little, his little Bible in his hand, and he's, you could, he just look on his face. He don't want to be with grandma and mom. He don't want to go to church. He's unhappy about all of this. Now, the question would be, why is he unhappy? Well, if you look at the picture, you'll also notice there's a fourth character in the picture. It's his dad. And his dad's sitting back in a recliner chair. It's obvious from the way that he's looking, he's watching the television set. He's got a newspaper in his hand. He's smoking a cigarette and there's a cup of coffee on the table. His dad apparently doesn't give any desire to go to church. And that little boy is learning from who? Help me out. Who's he learning from? He's learning from his daddy. What he's going to frame his thoughts and feelings about church one day. You see, our choices have consequences. Not just for us, but for others. You know, when we read the Bible stories, we sometimes think they have no relevance to us. Yes, they do. Joshua's concerned about when he leaves, what he will leave behind. 
He's concerned about the faith and whether it will go on to the next generation because it's already showing signs of cracking. So he calls all the people together and he gives one of the great speeches, one of the great sermons of all time where he challenges the people to remember. Go back and remember God's goodness and God's faithfulness. You are who you are because of God. You have what you have because of God. You've done what you've done because of God. Don't be so self-arrogant to think you did it. It was God who did it. And then he calls them to respond to what they remember. By fearing the Lord and serving the Lord and forsaking idols and making a choice. A public choice that everybody can see in your family. Where you stand. And then he closes out verses 19 through 27. And again, I'd ask you to cast your eyes on those verses. He asks them to remain. Remember. Respond to what you remember and remain true to the Lord. Verse 23. Now therefore put away, said he, the strange gods which are among you, and incline your heart to the Lord God of Israel. Joshua understood something that the people would probably give him a yes because he was playing on their emotions, perhaps. You know, we're, we, we tend to be sentimental people. And if somebody touches one of our emotional nerves, we'll cry a little bit and we'll consent. Joshua understood that's how people do when you give them a sermon like this. He also understood their shallow, easy believism. Where everybody says, I agree, amen, amen. (laughs) And as soon as he leaves, it's right back to business as usual. Joshua wasn't looking for some sappy, sentimental yes or some easy believism decision. He wasn't wanting the people to amen him. He didn't care if they said amen or not. What he was interested in was the transformation of their lives based on what they heard. Put God first, he said. Take a stand and then stand. Take a stand and then stand on what you're standing on. Put God first. Let it be known that God will be first. Don't just make a private decision and keep it to yourself. Let it be known to your spouse, to your children, to your grandchildren. He is coming first. And then make a visible reminder of that. That everybody that's in your home now and everybody that will follow you later when you're not in your home, but they will be, 
will remember the decision that you made to follow Jesus. And how you made that decision public in your minute. And how you framed something in your house. In Joshua's day, it was a stone of remembrance where they inscribed on it the date that they had made a decision to follow the Lord God. But it was a marker that when they're no longer there, other generations will look down and say, look what granddaddy did years ago. He followed Jesus and he declared it on this date. What about us? I wonder, just wonder this morning, if maybe we need to make a decision on who we're going to follow, on who we're going to worship, on who we're going to serve. Is it going to be the gods of this world? Or is it going to be the God of the Bible? Who's it going to be? Are we going to lead our family in that decision? Not just make it, but are we going to have the fortitude and the courage and the determination and the strength to say to our wife, to say to our husband, to say to our children, to say to our grandchildren, this is what I have decided to do. Today, August 6th, this is what I decided to do, and I want you to clearly understand it. Then will we stay serious and steady with it? Not just a momentary do it today and forget about it tomorrow. I will follow Jesus. I want everybody to know I am following Jesus. And I will follow Jesus until I go to be with Jesus. There'll be no let up. There'll be no change up. There'll be no back up. There'll be no give up until I go up. The choice that I make right here, right now is going to determine the choices that others will make down the road should there be a down the road. Pretty simple, isn't it? But the question is, will we do it? Will we? Would you make a decision this morning to follow the Lord? You say, well, Pastor, I've been following Him all my life. I'm not asking you what you've already done. I'm asking you right now, Sunday, August 6, 2017, would you be willing to say, I will follow Jesus? Would you be willing to make that public declaration? Would you be willing... To make it not only public here, to go back home to your house and let it be known what you did here. Would you be willing to go back to your house 
and somewhere, somehow, some way, have a marker in your home that everybody will know what took place August 6, 2017 in that decision. Were you, would you be willing to stay serious and steady with this decision? Because it might mean a reshuffling of your priorities. A reevaluation of how you do things and when you do things and where you do things. Would you be willing to do that? Would you? Do you understand the seriousness of the apple? Those kids that sit right over there are looking right over here. And if they see apathy in us, you can, I can promise you they'll be apathetic. If they see hypocrisy in us, I can promise you they will be not interested. And that's not just true of them, it's true of our own children. You know, children are smart. Grandchildren are smart. And they don't learn with their ears, they learn with their eyes, and they watch. And we're either stepping stones leading them to heaven, or we're stumbling blocks taking them to hell. Joshua stood up that day and he said, I want it to be known here and now and forever. I want my children to hear this. I want my grandchildren to hear this. It's going to be on a stone that I will put in my home that will forever remind them that this day, this day, my family and I choose to serve the living God. How about you and I? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed.